Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm about to interview Colin Cowherd. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. The NFL season is over. So uh, obviously we're in the NBA season, but we want to mix in some other guests as well. We have a couple surprises coming up in the next couple weeks that I'm personally very excited about. But today we are going to talk to my co-host on The Herd, weekdays noon to three on FS1 and Fox Sports Radio, Colin Cowherd. He is a great partner and friends. And, you know, you guys don't really get to see the behind the scenes of The Herd very often and hear Colin and I talk about um, like personal stuff and things that have gone on with the show over the past year, which have been pretty wild um, with everything that has gone on. So Colin's going to hop on with me and we're going to talk about all kinds of different topics and it's a great conversation and that's going to be the pod for today. Um, so let's check in with my friend Colin Cowherd. Very excited to have the great Colin Cowherd, my radio and television partner on the podcast today. You are the biggest name we've ever had on the podcast, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to set higher standards. (laughs) No, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, You know, we do do a show that a lot of people um, ask me about, and I don't know that very many people get to see behind the curtain of the show. Although I think over the past year with everything that we've dealt with, with COVID, um, we've kind of talked a little bit more uh, about personal stuff and, and kind of letting people in a, bit, a little bit more, but I always get asked three things about the show. Uh, uh-huh. One, why do you hate Baker so much? Why is Colin hate Baker? <laughs> um, two, what are you like? Like as they, people, a lot of people think that you're very serious all the time. And then the third thing is how much work goes into the show? Like how much prep do you do? What, you know, what time do we wake up? All stuff like that. So the first thing we talk about is Baker Mayfield. I tell everyone the same thing. Colin doesn't hate anybody and he certainly doesn't hate Baker, but why do you think Baker Mayfield and you has been such a, an electric conversation? Well, you know, I, I always say this, um, about quarterback play that it's the only position and it's totally unfair. You're going to ask to be uniquely mature at 23 years old. And it's totally not fair. We don't ask our soccer stars, our pitchers, our middle linebackers to do that. Our skateboarders, our skier, but you're going to have to be uniquely mature. And so when I see warning flags, Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, Baker Mayfield, I'm like, okay, this is a problem is that, and I called out, I said, the average 23 year old be like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, oh, darling, you don't understand because you don't have unique maturity at 23, right? The average 23 year old doesn't get it because the average 23 year old's not equipped to run a billion dollar franchise. And so 90% of these kids are a dream. They're bizarrely capable and mature. I- I'm amazed how mature Mahomes and Deshaun and Andrew Luck, I'm, I'm amazed by it. I'm shocked by how mature. But about every eighth to 10th quarterback likes himself a little bit, can't get over himself, and I call him out. And Baker was the only one who pushed back. And so I lit the flame, and he just poured gasoline on it, and from there it exploded. But whenever I get this, 
it's no big deal. I'm like, oh, oh, you're not capable either maturity or intellectually of understanding this argument. Teams are, that's why they do these interviews and the wonder, like I always said, the wonder like means nothing for anybody except quarterback. <laughs> like it's the only one. And if you score too low, it tells me one of two things. One of which is you didn't study for it because you couldn't study for it years ago. In the last seven or eight years, 10 years, you can study for it. So if your score is too low, you may not have cared enough to understand the, the, the gravity of it. So that's the first thing. I don't hate Baker. He had the, the immaturity issue and he just went right at it and he reacted to it and it exploded. I love it. And I say this every time we talk about it on the show. I think people forget that Baker actually came on the show. He came yes. to California, to Los Angeles, Century City, Fox Studios, and sat on our set and did an interview with us. He brought you a hoodie. He had his whole crew of people. So this idea that you hate him is just like silly. But I do. I think it's great for the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Baker actually gets it. Oh, of course he gets it. He may not have understood it the first two or three times, but listen, he's got a brand. His brand is rebel. It goes right into his wheelhouse. Baker's not dumb. Um, I think he got a little caught off guard with it and initially didn't quite know what he got himself into. But I've said before, I invite, I, I brought Tio on the show. I've been critical of him. Richie Incognito. Um, oh, I've been... I've, I've brought a lot of guys on that were mad at me. Baker's always welcome. I'm not one of these guys who rips you and then kisses you up. I'll, I, I told Richie Incognito, I'm going to go after you. You've done things that are appalling. I told T.O., come right back at me. I told Baker that. Come at me. I'm going to come at you. So I, 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 I would love to have Baker back on. I would love to. So the second question is Colin serious all the time. Um, well, the first time I met you was at the Super Bowl in New York, and you couldn't have been nicer. Uh, I was just a, a, a squirt little kid uh, doing, starting out in radio in Miami um, on my first full-time show, and you did the show. And I was obviously very intimidated because you're Colin Cowherd. And then when I met you in LA, um, I realized very quickly what kind of person you are. I, I think that you are very serious about work and you're very serious about shutting it down when you're outside of work and yeah. spending time with your family and enjoying yourself. And that's, I'm, I'm the exact same way. Is that a fair assessment of you? Yeah. Work hard, play hard. So that's exactly yes. right. When I, when I come to work, I'm very demanding. Um, and when I'm off work, I mean, I can literally walk out the doors, flip a switch. It's not that my personality changes, but it's playtime. So I have two lives. I have the walk into work. Sometimes I have to yell, you know, and say, guys, come on, let's go. You know, we got to be tighter on this. This is not good enough for the show. I don't love that. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I don't love it. I always feel guilty. Um, but that's just the reality of it. It's like Tom Brady on the sidelines yells. Tom Brady, after he wins the Super Bowl, gets drunk. Like, it's okay. Like, we all have different personalities for work. And sometimes you have to be super serious. But I think the minute work is over and you see me out with friends, I'm a laugh guy. I mean, I'm just, I'm there to laugh at myself and laugh at life. So yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And by the way, I think that's a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of people, you know, you get a little tight in the shoulders when you go to work. We all do. We have to perform. You and I are performing, you know, it's our version of Broadway. We've got to be on the air live. We don't have a script and there's an intensity to that. Well, I've worked with a lot of big personalities. You've been in the business for a very long time, obviously as well. 
And I would describe you in that way also. But when we, when I'm asked about how much work we do, like how much work actually goes into the show, you're actually quite humble about how much work goes into the show because people can never believe that we do a, like a two hour prep call before the show. And all of these shows do a lot of prep. The idea is to make it look like it's easy and, right. you know, wild, but there's all, everything is prepped. Even reality TV, they have dozens of producers that put everything together. Nothing right. is uh, by accident if it's good television. But you actually, you have so much impressive energy because you really do, you do prep more in a more unique way than anyone I've ever worked with. And that you really talk out everything that you do before the show. So you essentially do a two hour show before <laughs> the three hour show. Well, I think you, one of the things I've noticed in this business, sportscasters tend to think they're smarter and funnier than they are. And so I've always believed that a comedian preps, an actor preps, a doctor preps, a nurse preps, I have to be ready for surgery. And so I believe every segment, I have to take my audience somewhere. I feel so grateful that people give me an opportunity for nine minutes as they drive to work, or maybe it's 20, they're giving me their ears. They're giving me their life. And my thing is, the least I owe them is to take them somewhere and try to create a little bit of an arc, a funny line, a thought. And it's not like every segment's great. I mean, I may have one or two segments a day I really like, and then I just try to make sure it's competency. But I think I do feel somewhat indebted to the consumer. I feel like I owe them to take them somewhere. And when I listen to a lot of other shows, I feel like they're just kind of rambling. And to me, that feels like, oh, you're taking the audience for granted. They have a million choices. The, the fact that people would give me a shot, I feel like, oh, crap, I got to make the most of this. And if I'm really good, I may get them later in the day or tomorrow. So I just, I think, I think, I think, I know people wouldn't think I'm humble. I think that's my humility. I feel indebted to the audience that they gave me their time and I'm not going to disrespect it. We talked about this a little bit today. And uh, so I said you were controversial, which is the wrong word. You are, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think you're controversial actually at all, but you do have the ability to, to polarize people. So polarizing is, is probably a better word. Was there a time in your career where you felt that you um, said something or were part of something that where people really misunderstood you? Yeah, I wish I could, you know, there have been moments that I've said things, you know, what, what I said about Sean Taylor, um, I relied when he passed away, I, I relied on very powerful and noteworthy African-American uh, voices. Um, Michael Wilbon, I listened to, uh, if I recall, Stephen A. Smith. And I should have gone with my gut and I should have been softer. Um, I remember that was a really weird show, Joy. I was in Anaheim. I did the prep in my car in a parking garage for the whole show for about 20 minutes. It was a long story. We got delayed. We couldn't find where we were supposed to be. And I remember that show. I was with a producer and I remember telling him, I'm like, this is just unprofessional. In fact, I got back to ESPN and I yelled at my bosses. I, I'm like, ne I'm never going to compromise myself for this network. I did about 20 minutes. I was in a parking garage. We couldn't figure out where to park. We got lost at Disneyland. We were serving our LA affiliate. And I went on the air and I didn't do enough homework. And I remember feeling bad. I felt like you did. He deserved more of your attention and prep. Um, you know, and there's been other things I've said where, you know, I get spanked by a network or, um, 
you know, I, I never want to be mean. And there, and there are times once or twice a year, I think oh, I was a little mean. I'd rather be more playful, um, especially for a younger athlete. Um, you know, he may not be ready for my volume and my intensity if you're a college kid. So, you know, there, there are those moments. I think by and large, I'm fair. I do my homework. Fox has never compromised my prep. ESPN did once and I blew a gasket. There was a second time I once did prep in a bookstore with people all around me. And I went to one of my bosses, Pete, I won't say his last name. And I felt bad for him. I, I almost ended up in the hospital with a heart attack because I was screaming at him. Um, I get into trouble when I don't give something the time it deserves. And I half-ass it. I don't do that very much. I've done it a few times. I regret it. But I also think we live in a world now where, Joy, I don't have time to look in a rearview mirror. I have 12 minutes to fill right after that. I don't get to admire my work. It's not like if you're like Joe Buck and you have a great World Series game seven, you can go back and watch your game and you don't have to work for another couple of weeks. Like if I have a bad segment, I get four and a half minute commercial break and then entertain America with Joy Taylor. We're, we're back on the air. So I, I don't spend a lot of time, almost none, worrying about my mistakes. I really think about, okay, you know, years ago, I covered a coach named Mike Bellotti at Oregon. He had a great line. I've, I've, I've thought about this often. Oregon was really good. They lost a game to Stanford. And that was the only game they lost all year. And it was a really good team. And I remember after the game, he said, listen, I'm really disappointed. But we can't let Stanford beat us twice. We got to get over this thing in 12 hours. And it was, I thought to myself, God, that's great. He's like, I got 19-year-old kids. You, you overthink this loss. It was a wild shootout. He goes, then you lose again and again, and the season's over. We lost a game. We're not going to lose a game again. Tebow had a rant like this when they lost to Ole Miss years ago at Gainesville. Like, we won't lose another game. And so I think, like, bad segment, okay, I'm done with bad segments for the month. That was my bad segment. And you start getting paralyzed by your mistakes. Joy, you'll go into the next segment. <laughs> You're all over the map and you're not thinking. And then you have two bad segments and then you have a bad hour and then you have a bad rating for a show. So I just, I think, I think you just have to get over stuff fast. Even if you sound like a complete idiot, you just got to move on really quickly. It's a very unforgiving business. And there's another paragraph to write and another inning to broadcast. Yeah. I mean, having known you for all the years I've known you now and now having worked with you as much as we've worked together and you and I work probably more together than most people in the business just because of the length of our show. Like most people don't do three hour shows, usually much shorter, the prep being shorter um, at the time spent in the studio is shorter. So a, a, an unprepped segment or something like that would make more sense to me than anything else because you spend so much time. I know how much time you spend and effort you spend and input you get on uh, what it is that you say, which kind of leads me to to a story I wanted to talk about. Yeah, because it's um, it was a very it was an important moment for me. I think for everybody, but um, for me with the show specifically, last year obviously. I mean, we've been going through complete chaos internationally, obviously with the pandemic yeah. and everyone's working through crazy stuff. But last summer, George Floyd is murdered. And we do a very unique show in that we generally don't do 
controversial topics. We don't get too much into, you know, domestic violence. We generally don't dig into social issues. Um, You know, we just, we do mostly a sports show. And we talked about George Floyd. I wasn't actually expecting you to talk much about it, but it had taken over the entire planet. And we talked about it on the show. And I can't remember if I called you or if you called me. I think I, I think I text you um, and just said thank you for what you said about George Floyd because your voice is very powerful. And being that you are a, a white man, what you said was very influential to me to not only hear, not that I know that that's how you already felt, but you know, I think it's important for other people sometimes to hear what you think about those things, um, especially because you know a lot of people feel how they feel about, you know, the Sean Taylor comments. And you, when we spoke on the phone, you were, I mean, can I, can I be honest about our conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Colin was hysterically crying. Uh, you just talked to Olivia about everything that happened. And we had a very candid conversation about what happened with George Floyd. And uh, we hadn't really talked about it much since, but it was, uh, it, it really impacted me that you were as upset as you were, obviously, but that you took the time on the show to, to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I get emotional thinking about it. You know, when you have kids, um, when you have kids, I'm always disappointed when I see, um, like adults, kids look up to adults, right? Like they're, my kids are 13, 14 years old. So George Floyd, uh, the Trump presidency, you know, my kids looked up to me a lot. We talked about stuff every single day, you know, and the, and the George Floyd stuff. I, I don't understand. I don't understand politicizing death. I don't understand. I don't understand when little people look up to us, we have to be reasonable. And uh, I thought big chunks of America weren't. Um, I thought people stoked racial fires. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was probably the most discouraged I had been about my country. I, you know, I, it's, I've said this before. America gets it right. <laughs> it just takes us a while, right? Like we get it right. But we're also like individuals, we're prone to mistakes. We're human, we're emotional. Um, and I thought the George Floyd situation, it became blaming and defending. And I, I remember, remember the, one of the things I always thought, and I told my kids, I said, listen, 12 and a half percent or 13% of America is black. They're asking for our help. Like if you were on a playground, if you saw a bully, if you saw somebody hit by a car, would you help them? Yeah, well, of course you would. So we had video evidence. We have anecdotal evidence. We have black moms and grandmothers and grandfathers saying, this is how I was treated. We have documented incidents. Now everything, of course, is recorded. And I remember telling my kids that I just said, you know, when people ask for help, help them. And I think we had a leadership hole in our country. Um, it was a really rough few days for me. You know, it's funny. 
when you're, I mean, I've been, I've leaned left most of my life. When I was at ESPN, my mom was almost socialist, British. So when I was at ESPN, Barack Obama came on ESPN twice and he chose me. He chose me and Andy Katz, may have been somebody else, but he chose me. Okay. So that was always a great responsibility that I felt he thought I, he at least heard I was responsible and reasonable. But it was funny during the Trump presidency, if you didn't go far right, you were woke. And I'm always like, did you guys listen to me before I got here? Like I've always been, I was pro-gay marriage before Obama. I've been pro-pot forever. Um, I've never really changed. I think our country changed for about four years. I think we got meaner. I thought we got angrier. I, got, I think we got less empathetic. I think we got less curious. It was almost like it's a post-truth society. And not to be long-winded, but I, I think the, that phone call we had, and there was a three or four day, just three or four days in America, I thought we lost our compass. I thought we lost who we were. And uh, fortunately, powerful voices, white, black, Everyone, male, female, stood up. But it, it was the only time I can re really remember being worried about our future. I would say the only other time, Joy, was 9-11. My daughter was one. She was born on September 12th. She walked up to a TV set, one year and one day old. And she touched the TV as I watched 9-11. And she turned back to me and her mom on the couch. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't know if I want her in this world. This is the world she's going to live in. We're going to be attacked. I remember being sick to my stomach. And, you know, people will hear this and think, how can you compare? It's not analogous. But to me, I had the same feeling. I was sick to my stomach by what I heard, what I saw from not just the White House, but from what I believe to be a country full of decent, reasonable human beings. Well, that was very impactful to me as a Black woman in this country, obviously, those visuals and experiences were not foreign to me at all. But to have a conversation with you about it, and it was very uh, vulnerable, and uh, it, it made me be really proud to be on the show and to be working with you because it was it was just an impactful moment for me on the show. And as I mentioned, obviously, we were we had to do the show through a pandemic. You and I never had any time off. We just went straight through not knowing what it was happening. And, you know, we were in a unique situation, I think, again, because our show is so long, you know, we had so much time to fill and had no sports. What was the, what was the most challenging part of doing the show during the pandemic? Obviously we're back in studio now and we've been in for right. a while, but when we were at home and like, didn't know what was going to happen. Well, I thought we really handled it well because we, in a weird way, you know, we talk about, I'm a draft Nick. So I love the draft. So we went off the air TV, like March or something. And I thought we were great up into the draft. Brady got traded. We broke the story. We had the draft post draft reaction. And I felt great. <clears throat> and then after that, it was a lot of crossing your fingers. Right. And you just kind of find stories. And, and then I remember there was a day when players were pushing back NBA players like Kyrie were pushing back on the NBA. And I'm like, Okay, fuck out of here with this stuff. We're going to have a season, Kyrie. Stop it. I don't want to hear this. There were about two or three days. I'm like, LeBron, put your Superman cape on. <laughs> I'm tired of LeBron being behind the scenes. Save the league. There were. There were two or three days I told you. I said, we're going to be in big trouble here. 
And people don't understand this. Kyrie had gained traction and momentum and Dwight Howard. And I'm like, time out. LeBron's the voice of the league. And there was about two days when you didn't hear anything from LeBron. And I thought, Joy, we got to take some time off. Because we hadn't taken time off. I'm like, we need to take some time off. We're, we're out of stuff here. LeBron swooped in. You heard stories about he and Adam Silver talking. And then it's like, we're going to have a league. And I remember at that time, I'm like, okay, we're good. Do you remember that time that Kyrie yeah, was okay. gaining a lot of traction? No, I was nervous. I remember us talking like, if there's no NBA season, we have done. like a good two months with nothing until football. Like we've exhausted all of our, our theories and, you know, pre-football season uh, ideas and topics. And if there's no NBA season, is there going to be an NFL season? Like, is That's NFL going to try? And right, because at that point, people were so, there was so much unknown that leagues were kind of watching each other. Yeah. And so once the NBA went to the bubble and it succeeded, I think it gave baseball the confidence that, hey, we're not going to do a bubble. We're going to have some missteps, but we're not stopping. I think the MLS, then the NBA, then baseball. And, and as I've said before, I think the leagues were magnificent. I think they were just, I think the commissioners are better than our governors. I, I swear to God. I am so blown away that we had an NFL season and didn't miss a game. It's insane. People, (laughs) people tackle each other and lay on each other. I mean, I remember listening to an epidemiologist from Yale. I was listening to NBR driving home one day and you know, this guy should know his stuff. And he's like, football won't happen. He's like baseball. You're separated basketball. It's going to be a bubble. You have to test every day. Soccer separated. He goes football, no chance. There, it, there's, and I'm thinking, oh no, don't do that. I, I can't go. I can't go fall with no football. And, and and I always knew college football would be harder because you have non-athletes and you know dorms and colleges. At, on its best days, college is inappropriate. Like it's just there's just nobody's gonna no 22 year old kid's gonna stay in his dorm. Right. But but um the fact that we finished an NFL season I think speaks to Goodell. It speaks to the peer pressure in football that you didn't want to be the guy that blew up a locker room. That's something I don't think anybody ever thought about. There's a peer pressure in professional sports because you weren't getting paid. You didn't get paid if you had games canceled and and you didn't want to be the guy that took away checks. Everyone's going to know if you're out being reckless that you're the guy. And even if it wasn't you, you didn't want to be the reckless guy that, that messed up the locker room. Thank God. LeBron came in because boy, there were Kyrie and Dwight Howard started chirping and I'm like, time out, time out. No, I was nervous too. I didn't think, I did not know what was, I don't know where we would be right now if there hadn't been an NBA season because they, they set the standard and did such an amazing job with it too, that it it really set the tone for everyone else. Um, So a lot of people listening to this would want to see another side of you. What would you say makes you <laughs> makes you tick? Like when you see a story or you see uh, something on the news or in a game, like what is it that ma- makes like t- like turns you into Colin? Like, oh, my God, I can't wait to talk about this tomorrow. Well. You know, my mom used to say, I really like when you don't talk sports. And I, I always laugh at that and think, well, mom. I mostly have to talk sports, but she said, you know, when you talk about relationships and you'll give, you'll just kind of wander off. You've always been doing this since you were a little boy, you'll just wander off and tell stories. She goes, I think that's fascinating. And at some level, I probably want to make my 
mom happy. So I've thought a lot about, um, you know, I married Anne, who's not a sports fan. My mom wasn't a sports fan. My sister isn't. So I was surrounded by people that weren't fans of sports. And I just think when I watch sports, I'm looking for the interesting. Like, I don't want to break down plays because let's be honest, outside of occasional NFL games, Super Bowl playoffs, most people didn't watch the game I'm talking about. They didn't. If you go look at the rating of the Lakers Wizards game last night, you know, 700,000 people in America watched it. We have 330 million people. So I think you have to be careful about breaking down games. Now, obviously, in the NFL, you can do that, the World Series. But but bottom line is I, I'm always looking for interesting, an angle. Um, I remember when Dak Prescott early in his career was on the sidelines and he threw a cup into a garbage can and it missed. And he went back, picked up the cup and he threw I it in the garbage. This. Yeah, I and I, and this. I thought, that's all I need to know is that he was so conscientious that he, and I thought to myself, that tells me that's how he studies. That's how he cleans his room. That's how he looks at the playbook. That's how he builds a game plan. He's conscientious. He is aware that everything matters. And that was the moment I was like, yeah, no, I, I get Dak now. I get him. He may not throw the ball like I'd love him to, but that kind of stuff, I think that social, what do you call it? Social science or you know, that kind of stuff fascinates me is that, um, you know, I remember watching Jay Cutler early in his career and I watched how he would go stand on the sidelines and none of his teammates would stand around him. And I thought, oh no, that's a, that's a big problem. That's not what I want to see. He is gravity. He's a loner. Loners do not become great quarterbacks. So um, that's the stuff that interests me in sports. Um, LeBron James talking about, I bring my lunch pail. Uh, I punch the clock. What LeBron is really doing is calling out all the other stars who are on minute restrictions. That's fascinating. That's the game beyond the game. And I think what separates our show is we're storytellers. You and I just, we just kind of tell stories for three hours. I think it's a very easy listen. And, um, you know, if you, if it's not that we don't break down games, but it's not our style. I don't think we're at our best. I think we're at our best when we're, we're relating to people and we're talking about uh, things that a guy could, a woman could get into our car, not be a huge sports fan and be like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Who doesn't want to talk about relationships? Or you give them a business analogy or a family analogy. Everybody can relate to that. And I think our job is, you know, I don't talk a ton of politics. There are times Drew Brees, Kaepernick, George Floyd. There are times I believe I have a responsibility to. It's rare. It's twice a year. Um, and, and then in those moments I do. But I always feel responsibility to be relatable. Like we owe the audience, let's not talk over their head. Let's not, you know, let's not do that. Let, let, let's not be, that kind of talk show host wears me out. We are of the people. We are of the community. Let's not talk above it. So the name of this podcast is Maybe I'm Crazy. And I know that you don't think I'm crazy because I'm the ultimate professional. No, no, honestly though, I... I try to be very low maintenance. I, I think I'm a low maintenance person. People that know me intimately probably would disagree with that. But I do, when it comes to work, I want to be on time. I want to elevate everyone that I work with, with whatever I do. Um, and so you don't, you don't, I, I hide all my insanity from you. 
but is, is there anything that I've ever done that you're like, okay, joy is a little bit loopy. No, I think you're a black woman and have a different life and you have a sensibility that I need to be aware of. You lived a different life than I've lived. And so I, that was part of our building process. That was part of our relationship. Um, not just our gender differences, but how we grew up. You grew up with very religious parents. I went to church once. You had a star brother, uh, a football player. Uh, I think you were the youngest. You are, I mean, we, you have a lot of things. It's, it's, I feel like it takes about a year to learn a little bit who people are. So I don't think you're crazy. There are places I'm really sensitive. You're not. There are times right. you've been sensitive and I'm not. I think it's my responsibility to make sure that you feel um, challenged, but comfortable. I, I'm going to challenge you. I, I told, when I first met you I, you, I don't know if you remember this. I said, Hey, don't come on here and be weak. I want your opinions. I'm no, like, I do remember I, it. I do remember it because the way I, that yeah. the uh, segment was kind of set up before for whatever reason, it was kind of asking you, like it would uh, be tee up and then ask you your opinion right away. So yeah. we kind of immediately switched it around after that conversation. And, yeah. uh, and now we kind of balance it out, you know, depending on how yeah. it goes, but, um, but yeah, no, you gave me the space right away immediately. I think it was after maybe our first show together. Cause I had done the show with you a bunch, um, yeah. filling in, but our first like official week, you had that conversation with me. Yeah. Um, and I think it opened the whole show up. Yeah. I just said, I want your opinions. Do not worry about how they land with me. I said, sometimes I'll be in a hurry in this segment if like there's commercial reads or whatever. But I said, I want to hear your opinion. I don't want you to, you know, be concerned how it lands for me. And I think that, I think that's the, the position. I think that makes the show better. I don't, we agree mostly on everything. I like flopping more than you in the NBA, but we mostly, <laughs> we mostly agree. I think we, we have the same sort of Capricorn sensibility. Um, you know, we've been in good relationships. We've been in tougher relationships. We've, um, we've had, we've had good companies. We've had companies that drive us nuts. We both traveled a lot. We both done radio. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got a good beat on who I am. I don't, I'm not terribly complex. Um, I've got a little, I don't know the level of it. I've got a little Asperger's where I can get lost sometimes, um, in conversation, uh, I tend to be overly emotional on certain stuff. I mean, you know, you know, this is another example, but I don't think, I think you have dealt with more bullshit in your life than I have. Um, I think being a, a woman in a sportscaster is harder. Whereas I'm not saying it's been easy for me. It hasn't. I've had, you know, I've had, I've rented a lot of vans. I've moved a lot. And um, no, so I, I, I don't, I don't think you're crazy. I just think your life is different. And I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to explore. I think it's, I don't think I've ever been mad at you. I think sometimes I've driven home thinking, okay, I've got to figure out where she's at now. Like she's at a place where I have to figure it out and I don't have an answer. Um, when, when personal stuff or stuff that's happened in America in the last four years, I would drive home and think, I don't know. I don't know quite where she is, but she needs some space. She's got to unpack some stuff. And I think that's just part of being a partner. I think it's just, 
You know, I mean, that's just, by the way, you know, I've had those days. You probably drive home and think, God, he is, what is going on? And I, and I tell people this before, I have a right to a bad day, <laughs> you know, like we all do. So there've been times where I think I can see something's really affecting you, but you, you tend to be somebody that moves. Um, you're a good adapter. You move quickly on stuff. Um, you don't, you always say you're petty and maybe you are, but you, you land on your feet really quick. If stuff affects you, you, you're, you're a deep breath taker and you show up the next thing. It's fine. You're not somebody that has a seven, eight day thing. Um, you know, you just, I mean, when you're mad, by the way, you tell me in the makeup room, you're like, oh, this is driving me crazy. And almost always I'm like, yeah. Girl, I hear it because it's driving me crazy too. <laughs> the pay, I'm, I'm about done with California politicians. I'll say it now. I'm about yeah, done with them. We're both there. We're both there for sure. Um, why don't you have to get to another interview? We got another five minutes. Let's do five more minutes. minutes. Five more minutes? Okay. Um, all right. Well, you and I do agree with about a lot. And yeah. I think one thing that we were both really grateful for, well, I won't speak for you. I'll just ask you. I'm really grateful to have been able to work in an era with LeBron James and Tom Brady because we're in the content business and the two yeah. of them, um, whether they try to be or they naturally are, are just an unbelievable, the two separately, just unbelievable sources of content for our business. Who's been your favorite athlete or just the athlete that you feel lucky to have been able to cover or have as a, a source of content in your career? I mean, there's, there's so many to pick from. That's a good question. I would flip the telescope. I would say the only athlete that I never saw play that I really wish I would have seen play is Sandy Koufax because the people who saw him for three years, literally nobody could hit him. Frank Robinson, the greatest hitters like, yeah, no, 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 nobody could literally hit him. It's almost, it's almost, um, there's a mystique around him. It's like he was three years, literally there were no hitters, no hitters, one hitters. Outside of that, I've seen everybody. I got to see Wilt when he was old, you know? Um, you know, I broke into this career and got Mike Tyson, who was incredibly complex. He was my first break. Is that a lot of my stuff I would send national into, you know, places and I was on the tape. So he, he was my first really intense superstar I covered. I was in Vegas. I covered Jerry Tarkanian, another break. So I got these two sort of national, intriguing, controversial figures early. And it really, Joy, you know, your first job is usually like Midland, Texas. And mine was Tark, Tyson, and I was in my 20s trouble. And my, my first five or six years in the business, I mean, I was just, it was like hurricane every day very lucky. And it, it tested me. I was like, you know, there was just big meaty stories. Um, Brady it's would have to be. It's funny you yeah. say that because that's, that's another thing that we have a lot in common because when I got my first job in the business was when uh, LeBron had first come to Miami with the, the big three in the Miami heat, which was the number one story in sports for four straight years and the whole world hated Miami and Miami, you know, the Miami heat are relevant when they're obviously in the finals, but I wouldn't necessarily classify the Miami heat as a, a national brand, the way the Dallas Cowboys or the Yankees or the Lakers are. 
And that was, you know, I had went to school in Miami. So I got my first job in Miami. So we have that in common too. Like we just got thrown into the, you know, international fire basically in our first uh, jobs in the business. You know, it's interesting. When I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, I was in TV joy at that time and sports talk radio wasn't as prominent. And I, and I think to myself, oh, I would have died to talk Michael Jordan and sports talk radio. I was a local sportscaster because there was so much conflict around Michael. He hated the Pistons. They hated him. He hated the Celtics. They hated him. Half the time he hated his own team. Jordan would have been more dissected. You know, Michael, it's all highlights now. You don't see any missed jumpers. You don't see those Utah series where he had bad nights or the Phoenix series where he took some horrible shots or the Seattle series when he couldn't at home put him away. So he's, he's been very fortunate. It's like all the presidents before Barack Obama didn't deal with Twitter. Like Obama, Trump, they deal with this incredibly intense, vile, angry, daily mob. And it changes everything. You have to answer questions that would, would never even be. I mean, there's just conspiracy theories now become stories. So I, I, do, look at, I do look at Michael Jordan and think, oh, you think we talk a lot of LeBron. We would have gone months where we didn't talk about anything but Jordan. Because looking back and watching that documentary, there was a lot of controversy during. He quit twice. Twice. Can you imagine LeBron saying, I'm done. No Time out. So <laughs> I, I, I look at the Jordan era and I think that's the only space. Sandy Koufax in the Jordan era on talk radio would have been as good as anything you and I would have ever done. So deep, so layered, so contentious. One more question before I let you go. Sure. One thing that always infuriates me every single year is the baseball hall of fame and oh. the process of like who gets in, who doesn't get in, how long are they going to make Barry Bonds wait? Are they ever going to put Pete Rose in? It's just like, it's the most pretentious, uh, like holy robed thing in sports. And it drives me nuts. Is there anything in sports that you just wish that like you had the power to just like change? Cause if I could fix the baseball hall of fame, I would. I think what, what bothers me sometimes about our business is, is people in our business get a little too precious and a little too idealistic. It's sports. They're kids. They say inappropriate things. They can be idiots on social media. They make mistakes. Um, Sometimes the media can be a little holier than now. And I think if I have any criticism of sports, it tends to be media. Like when people say, oh, hot takes. They're takes. If you don't have takes, I'm gonna, you and I are going to crush our competitive shows. They're right. opinions. Howard Stern has opinions. We have opinions. Sean Hannity has opinions. Rachel Maddow has opinions. They're not hot takes. They're just opinions. And if you don't allow people to have opinions that are out of the mainstream, a little contrarian, a little weird, what you're doing is boxing in our content, is that let's be less precious. Let's just, you, Joy, you and I go on, and our job is to just, we could be wrong for three hours, but if we were funny and interesting, I think you and I would go, great show. Right. I think sometimes the media gets a little too... Um, holier than now we're covering sports we're all lucky to do it 
These are kids. They make mistakes, have any opinion as long as it's not, you know, a vile or derogatory. And let's just not take ourselves so seriously. These are games and we are paid to cover them. I, every day, I, I am so grateful for my life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, the media sometimes gets in a soapbox and it's like, okay, this is not what people care about. Fans care about their team winning. And sometimes in Buffalo, they jump on tables. That sums up the American sports fan. You give them a couple beers, they get lubricated, they do stupid stuff. They're happy. We're covering them. Just enjoy the process. We're just in this funnel of fun. Enjoy it. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, that's my issue with the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's why it's like the number one thing that bothers me. Because it's like, at the end of the day, this is a museum. And every single year, it becomes about the writers and not about the players. Yeah, I remember a moment when I first, um, I may have been in Connecticut with Doug Gottlieb. And we went bowling with our wives. There's not a lot to do in Connecticut. Bowling was a good night. And I remember turning to Doug at one point, he, he would probably remember the story too. And I, and I turned to him, I said, Doug, I said, look to your left and right. And I said, this is our audience. Never forget that. This is our audience. People at a bowling alley that are having beers and having fun and laughing with their wives and their buddies. This is our audience. And when the media starts talking above them, um, I wince. Like, just make it fun. I mean, God, you get into a car. People work hard, okay? They work hard. They get into a car. Make them think or make them laugh. Sometimes make them cringe. Make them something. Um, they're putting in the time. We owe them five, seven, eight, 12 minutes of interesting. Don't take it too seriously. Good God, these are just over. I mean, there are moments. The George Floyd situation, there are moments. They are rare. They are crucial. They are important. But boy, 28 out of 30 days in the month, it's silly. It, it's, 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 it's fun town. It's the silly store. We're talking about a basketball game where somebody got a technical for screaming at a ref and LeBron flopped. And like, let's, let's remember what we do and where we are. Well, I enjoy doing the show with you every day. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, for uh, gracing us. We should do it again and get into some yes. more stuff because um, we could talk for the next two hours as we, we usually do every day. By the but... way, I swore, so I'll get in trouble for that. No, I swear, every, I... I swear every, I tell you, like I act more appropriate around you than I usually do. I swear on the podcast every week, <laughs> multiple times. Don't oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a swear. We, we, we say Donnie. shit, fuck, whatever. <laughs> okay, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie is good I to go. apologize if I let you down, Donnie. <laughs> no, it's good. It. It's all good. <laughs> he did it. But I love doing the show with you. Uh, we have a great time. I hope some, uh, some of our viewers and listeners got to know, know both of us a little bit better with this. And I always appreciate that you give me the space and uh, you're extremely supportive of me, not just as a friend, but, you know, as a black woman in the business, which is, which is monumental to me. And I hope some people learn some stuff about you today because you're a good friend and a good person. I always say Colin is, and, and I've worked with a lot of great people, great people in this, uh, especially on the talent side. Um, but you are genuinely one of those people 
that I don't ever have to make anything up about. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are really like uh, a genuine family person. You love your wife. You love your family. You do. You work really hard at work and have a great time with your people and are not a drama person. You're not about uh, like tearing anybody down um, and you're great to work with. So I, I appreciate it. And I, I, I love the show and I hope I hope other people do. And I think they do. I think people like it. Yeah. So let's do this again. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, I'll see you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much for checking us out this week, guys. Appreciate it. Make sure that you subscribe and follow us on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod. You can listen to the podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia app, and Apple Podcasts. So wherever you listen to podcasts, thank you so much to Colin for stopping by and make sure you check us out, of course, on The Herd weekdays, noon to three on FS1. If you don't already, um, appreciate you guys and we'll catch you next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Ooh.